With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, here we are again. Yeah. On the second episode of our Talk Shoe Cafe show. Meta Talk Cafe. <laughs> what did I call it? Talk Shoe Cafe. <laughs> I've been talking Talk Shoe for hours trying to get it to work. Yeah, to work that's what happens. So Meta Talk Cafe, yeah. When technology warps your brain. Yeah, my brain, brain is warped. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What a lot of fun. So, um, last time um, we had to uh, postpone the show. And I'm John Jameson. And I'm Leela Jameson. And we live here in beautiful Cornwall, um, overlooking the wonderful sea of St Ives Bay. And it's just five o'clock in the evening here, getting dark. And um, it's been very stormy and wintry. And uh, I thought as a subject for today's show, we might... Talk a little bit about how to be happy, and how to be happy in this world. <laughs> um, so, uh, um, they, this really the age-old question, isn't it? How to be happy? And uh, there's been, I guess, everybody essentially is on their own quest for happiness, aren't they? Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. I've probably spend our whole lives looking for happiness, one way for one way or another, whether it's through getting a great job and earning mm-hmm. lots of money, or finding the right partner and, you know, settling down, living with them, going and being an adventurer or whatever. Um, And um, for many people, it does seem that um, as we get older, sometimes happiness can get more elusive, can't it? Um, Except me, I find that it's easier. (laughs) Well, you have had your challenges to go through. Yeah, I think I've had the challenges in the earlier part of my life. Well, yeah. it wouldn't be it wouldn't be strictly true to say that you've been happy all the time because we've had our challenges oh. too. But they help take you to another level, don't they? Oh, absolutely! They shape you and, and mould you to who you are. Mm. Absolutely. So uh, I remember when I was um, when I was in my um, mid to late teens, um, I suddenly I suddenly found myself just being ecstatically happy, and. Um, uh, there was no particular reason for it, um, but just suddenly it was everything was very bright and very rosy, and it was it was like I was walking on clouds the whole time. And, um, <laughs> everything was sparkly and beautiful, and, did, and I was just. Did people think you were on drugs, John, <laughs> like they do me? <laughs> Except when they bump into me. <laughs> uh, well, yes, yeah. I mean, yeah, I was I was pretty far out, really. Um, <laughs> and then life circumstances came along. Uh, mm-hmm. in the form of a relationship, which really kind of like dragged me down until in the end I just felt I had to get out. And I really felt that when I got out of that relationship, I would um, I'd be happy again. Yeah. And I'd just like to welcome E-L-C-A Bong, Elka Bong. Hello, Elka Bong. Thanks for joining the call. Hi. And if you want to type any comments or chat or questions, please feel free to join in. Um yeah, that was amazing. I thought, oh, I, I think it went on for about... We, we were in bliss together, actually. I think probably she was riding off my own energy. This, you, 
by the way, just to explain, John's not talking about me. This is in your early, early days. This is absolutely right. <laughs> early days. This is a relationship when I was about 18. Yeah. Uh, 17, 18. And um, mm-hmm. no, we we were absolutely, you know, absolutely rocking and rolling for mm-hmm. the first few months, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then there was a, cut a long story short, a gradual decline to the point of uh, just completely insufferable. And uh, I wanted to get out and... Um, she threatened to like you know commit suicide if if I did, and it was all like a trap, and I felt trapped and um uh, she wasn't happy, and it was obviously someone had to make a move in the end, so I said, "Well, that's it, gotta go and um <laughs> part of the whole joy of my life had been on my triumph six fifty motorbike you see and and even that had kind of like paled, and nothing was much fun anymore and um uh, I remember very distinctly the day that I said, "Right, that's it." And you know whatever the consequences, I've got to go. It's got to end. And um, I just felt, thought I felt so relieved. I thought, ah, oh, freedom again, freedom. You know. And I got on my Trans 650 and started to make a very wonderful deep throaty sound. You know, and then boom, off we go. And I <laughs> pulled the throttle back, and I was utterly expecting to feel that bliss again mm, of freedom yeah. and joy. Mm-hmm. And it was like the the motorcycle shot forward, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was sort of like left standing with this kind of flat feeling, wondering what what, what happened. Where did that go? Do you feel wounded? Did you feel wounded, John? Well, I felt all sorts of things um, from the relationship. Mm. Uh, I probably felt wounded, hurt, disappointed, trapped. You know, all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, at the time, I was just fairly thought I was feeling pleased to be off, you know, with my freedom again. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, and it was very strange to me that it just went flat. There was nothing there at all. It really was nothing at all. It was like, you know, there was the bike shooting forward and I wasn't moving. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, rats. Now, here's the interesting thing. As a result of that experience, I, I guess I started on my spiritual quest. Because um, having tasted, you know, complete joy, freedom, maybe even ecstasy, it was ecstatic, actually, um, I wanted more. And I didn't know where to go for it, and no one else seemed to be experiencing it. So, um, yeah, I guess that started my spiritual quest. And the first thing that came along my way was a um, um, was transcendental meditation. I can't remember how I came across it, but it seemed like a good idea. Uh, and the claims they were making kind of like matched the sort of place I thought I'd been in, so I thought, oh, I'll give that a go. So, um, cut a long story short, gave it a go, and indeed, from time to time, I did go right back into that wonderful place. So this seemed like the real thing for me. Um, and yet, it didn't really last. I would often get it in, in meditation, but then when I came back out into life again, as it were, it might last sort of walking down the road a bit, but then it would just disappear. Um, and so then really began, I'm, you know, I'm still talking about when I was about 19, and, and then so really began a long, sort of lifelong quest for truth, what's going on, finding myself, whatever it was, because I'd had tasted, you know, you had tasted your ecstasy. I had, And yeah. you wanted more. I wanted more of it. Yeah. And that's like anybody who tastes their ecstasy, whether it's on drugs or mm. relationship or climbing mm. an, a mountain or whatever. You want more of it, don't you? Well, I'd found more of it, and I'd found it within myself. And I knew that that was my... Yeah, I mean, I guess one of the most enduring aspects of it was that it really was me. Yes. I, it, you know, there was mm. there was no doubt that, that that was my 
true nature. And I often find it is so much more powerful and awesome, the ecstasy that's accessed within your own being than from any exterior sources. can be. I, um, shall, I am testament to that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although exterior sources can be great fun and, and very powerful too. So, um, so, then, so then I guess that the rest of my life has been... Um, Looking to refine that. Now, it's interesting that if I'd never had that experience in the first place, I probably would never have looked for it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so it did awaken something yes. in me. And one can see it as maybe like a bit of a setup in the sense that having had it awakened in me, um, it was in a sense taken away. Or I took it away, whichever way you look at it. So I was left with an empty void. And maybe you're giving yourself the opportunity to really source it within yourself. Yes. I think so. Yeah. I think it was, let's say, one can see it as a setup to say, right, come on, let's. This is the kickstart that mm-hmm. you need to get mm-hmm. going with your life mm-hmm. and to find out what's going on. And and amazingly, just at the end of a relationship, so you're left like floundering. You yeah. really had to go back into your being to feel it but without I, needing anybody. Well, <laughs> I didn't think that at the time. I felt I did need something or somebody to help me. Yeah. So yeah. Um, you know, the, the transcendental meditation was a good start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and then a lifelong story in between, because that's over 30 years ago. Uh, but the highlights were, uh, a couple of highlights were um, being told by my TM, Transcendental Meditation teacher, that if I went to India, um, I would be able to go to their, uh, their center there, their ashram, and I'd be welcomed. And I thought, well, this is brilliant. And, uh, <laughs> someone had just said to me, would you like to hitchhike to India with me, mm-hmm. take a year off college? And uh, I said, yeah, okay. So I went for it. And um, um, cut a long story short, I wasn't welcome there. So I was again left flat, <laughs> having tr- hitchhiked all the way over there. Um, but that did lead me to my next step because someone said, oh, you know, you want to go there? You want to go to this place near Bombay and meet your guru? I said, what's a guru? And I said, okay. So I did. And that was a very transformative experience where yet again I got myself into it and much deeper and more profoundly and with a lot more understanding and that was that was the beginning of my really my deep spiritual understanding um and um and so i've been through various cycles of coming in and going out of that over my life and um um and so the quest for happiness if you like is not necessarily a simple answer because i think it depends a lot on where you come where you are at the moment and sometimes in my life i find it very easy to be happy and other times i found it like well, more or less impossible, um, even though I had experienced it just before. What do you think about that, Leela? Well, um, yeah, sometimes it's easy, sometimes oh, it, it is. isn't. Um, but, you know, uh, I feel now that the happiness I ac- access is far more intense, far more incredible than it's ever been, even though I'm going through probably the most challenging circumstances of my life ever. I know I am. Mm-hmm. And I would have been a quivering wreck faced with some of the things I have to do now. But it doesn't seem to matter to me anymore because I've sort of like made this promise to myself mm-hmm. that I want to be in my ecstasy and my happiness no matter what because I want to live life to the full and I want to love it to the full and I want to feel fantastic all the time and I love feeling fantastic. I really do. (laughs) So despite these circumstances, Mm. how are you doing on that? I would say I'm doing incredibly. But I'm very dedicated and there's a part of me that 
I love this world. Mm-hmm. I think it's so beautiful, and I just want to make the most of every single moment. Too. Right. It's always been there with me, and and I just love to radiate and shine that love, no matter what I'm doing. And so, yeah. do you do you think that dedication is absolutely essential for um, for uh, finding your true spirit and happiness? Not necessarily, because sometimes it can happen accidentally, where it feels <laughs> anch- accidentally, but you sort of fall into it. And I think that's my yeah. point, is that sometimes mm. it does happen accidentally. Mm. I mean, I think in my nature, I am I probably always was a pretty happy person, but then I really found happiness, and yeah. I've gone in and out of you know, tremendous, you know, just mm-hmm. to be general about it, happiness, you know, yeah. when you call it bliss or mm-hmm. spiritual ecstasy or whatever. I mean, it's just generally very happy, but not always. And... Um, uh, and so, you know, I think a lot of people are going through. I think the I think the first point I'm making here is that it's actually not necessarily a bad thing to be um, uh, to be unhappy at times. In other words, we tend to judge ourselves yeah. that if we're not happy at a particular time or things mm. aren't kind of flowing our way, that maybe we've done something wrong. I think that's a wonderful thing you said there because I can relate to that. Um, in fact, one of the awesome moments in my life was when I felt utterly depressed Um, and actually I had to go right into it Mm. but out of that place I used it like meditation I went right into that place it was like nothing was working in my life anymore and so what was left and what was left was just pure my pure joy of being irrepressible joy (laughs) (laughs) but I had to some I mean that can be a valid path too sometimes we have to go into um, the heart of depression in order to feel our pulse Mm. what moves us what Mm. shakes us yeah yeah absolutely and um, uh, I think a lot of the time we spend a lot of our energy yeah um, oh hello Heronstone nice to join us yeah welcome. (laughs) welcome Um, we're talking today about happiness yes. <laughs> and how to be happy. Um, so please do contribute if you can, or mm. if you want to ask any questions, making comments. Um, and um, really, where we've got to is is saying that um, that we all go through phases where it's easy to be happy, and yeah. it's other times more difficult. More challenging, yeah. Um, and um, because of that, I guess almost everybody will spend a lot of their lives putting effort in to manipulate their circumstances mm. to try to recreate the yeah. circumstances that they think can make them happy. So, for instance, one point in my life, I ran a business um, off, off of an idea I loved very much, but it, running the business wasn't particularly my thing. But I did say to myself, well, if I run this business mm-hmm. uh, for long enough, I'll make enough money so that I can go off and do what I need to do and be, and be my own thing. You so thought that of, you could earn a million pounds or something from your business, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and in fact, people were offering us yeah. that money, mm-hmm. but in the end, but we never actually got that money for various reasons. Um, but the point was, is that there was definitely a part of me that said, well, you know, if I can, if I sacrifice myself now, put yeah. the effort in now, I'll mm-hmm. have uh, a long-term happiness. Yes. And I, I guess that one of the things I found is that uh, that doesn't really work because you just keep pushing it out to the future rather than learning to live mm. in it and be in it now. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I, um, I've, I've experienced that very much. So but now I'm at my stage of journey where if I put my happiness in hold for one instant, it's like my oversoul or so as me will come back and give me a slap in the back of the head. <laughs> it feels like that sometimes, saying, 
get back into present, be in that joy now. It feels like that. It's mm. got so um, intense my reality experience now that if I'm out of tune, yes, it's like whew, comes and hits you, hits comes back you. and hits you pretty hard. <laughs> like and and our our favourite drama NC, NCIS oh, yeah. gives hits him over the head when he gets some sun, <laughs> when he gets something silly like, yeah. I feel like that happens with my um, my own soul you know? so when you step out of your joy you feel like you get a sort of don't be so silly slap yeah I do <laughs> yeah. were well, you putting your happiness in hole for, for <laughs> so I think that um, uh, one of the things that's uh, perhaps maybe a misconception about being spiritual mm. um, is that um, that we feel that if we're doing our job properly, it means everything's going to be working in our life. You know, there'll be a lot of money, we'll have have all our friends and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's going to be working. And um, uh, and then we kind of get surprised when it doesn't. And I think one of my messages is that um, you don't have to be surprised because being spiritual doesn't necessarily mean that your reality is instantaneously transformed into paradise, where everything is like heaven. It doesn't Can actually I have work like that. that. Hello. Hello there. Yes, Hi. please do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I, you know, uh, I'm so not comfortable talking about a lot of this stuff. I, I'm leery of the language around it. But what it seems to me, Again, there's that idea floating around that enlightenment somehow is going to make your life blissful all the time. And my sense is that what happens is it solves all of your old problems, but it creates a whole new set of much more interesting challenges. (laughs) (laughs) And and the idea uh, of this sort of blissful, problem-free existence is one of the obstacles that uh, people experience. They think, oh, yeah. And uh, it does. It does solve all your old problems, absolutely, and creates yeah. a whole new set of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, how long have you been um, on this sort of um, path, as it were? Oh. Can I call you Heron, or what's your name? Well, that's a good place. Yeah, Heron. That's my name. Okay. So you can call okay. me that. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, I had my first awakening uh, in 1967. Wow. When I was. 21 years old. Okay, we can do the maths, yeah? Yeah, I'm 62 now. Yeah, well done. So I've been at this for a while. Yeah. And one of the other things, a quote that has stuck in my brain forever, I don't even remember who said it, uh, but it's it's always struck me as just right on, that the search for happiness is itself unhappiness. Ah, right. I, I can agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, my experience has been that when I'm happy, that's great. I enjoy it, and when I'm not, I try to learn from it. Right. And uh, and I don't really concern myself with being happy anymore. You know, it's just like I'm happy when I'm happy, and when I'm not, mm-hmm. well, I try to figure out what's going on and learn something. Right. And oh, so over the year, so where do you feel that's taking you, Heron? Or well, is it I taking mean, you I, anywhere? I, I'm still being taken. <laughs> I, right. I have no. I don't know where it's going. It's <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, I see myself as as part of uh, a larger process that's ongoing uh, on Earth. I think Earth mm-hmm. is about transformed into uh, the first global conscious enlightened civilization, 
and um, I have some small part to play in that, or you know, to participate in the emergence of a conscious Earth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, do you see your role then as primarily um, as a participant and uh, as an assistant to that, or you know, how far do you feel? Because I, you know, I think there are there are traps in this as well this idea that we're going somewhere to be enlightened or you know realized or whatever it is and so having an yeah. idea of what the whole the, what the well, whole point my, is my field is uh, linguistics okay i'm i've i've um, come to a lot of this understanding through study of language and the relationship between language and thinking and the way we create reality by making our little stories about it right and so i see my job I've I've created what I call Earthling, which is a debugged subset of Wild English that's designed for clear thinking and accurate communication. <laughs> I don't think that's everything, but I think there are times when the ability to think without unconscious assumptions uh, is helpful, and uh, and in fact even mandatory at some times <laughs> when things get tough. And, are you uh, saying so, that our unconscious assumptions get in the way a lot of the time? Oh, I think that's, uh, yeah, I can't imagine anyone even questioning that. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, think I'm, I think I'm with what you're saying. Could you give us an example yeah. just to illustrate it? Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, it's a little, you may have heard this story. I mean, it's a little story. It takes a minute to tell it. but it, Go it, ahead, it, that's fine. If, if you've heard <laughs> the story before, um, don't blurt out the answer. <laughs> okay. Okay, so the... the um, Here's the story. A man and his son were coming home from a soccer match one um, Saturday afternoon after mm-hmm. the game. And they were involved in a head-on collision, and the father was killed instantly. The son was taken to a nearby hospital in critical condition. Uh, they wheeled the kid up into the operating room. Uh, the surgeon walked in, took one look at the kid, and said, I can't operate on him. That's my son. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You so, know that? Have you heard this one yeah, before? I have, but I've forgotten the punchline. Oh, so that's the, even it, better. That's <laughs> even better. Listen, I've told this story to thousands of people over the years, and many people admit to have he- hearing it before and are stumped yet again by it. Such <laughs> is, is the power of an unconscious assumption. One of the words I used. Yeah. imposed an assumption upon you that is, as long as it's unconscious, gives the appearance of a paradox. Yeah. When, of course, there is no paradox here. It's yeah. quite straightforward. Have you figured yeah. it out yet? Um, 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 no. Don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I know you don't. I don't even need to tell you that. Uh, well, the logic, if you just follow the logic of it, it's obvious and simple. Well, why don't you, could you, could you yeah. for the benefit of me and for everyone that's going to be listening, well, I, I um, run, just run through it again, and then I'll see if I can okay. spot where the assumption right. is. Okay. Right. A man and his son were coming home from a soccer game one Saturday morning, or afternoon, yeah. or whatever. Anyway, and they were involved in a head-on collision. The yeah. father was killed instantly. The son oh. was taken to a nearby uh, hospital in critical condition. Um, they wheeled the kid up into the operating room. The surgeon came in, took one look at the kid, and said, I can't operate on him. That's my son. Oh, right. Okay, well, my first assumption was that the, the father and son could have been switched positions, but that didn't make too much sense. That, 
But actually, the, the surgeon, we're assuming the surgeon is male? Pardon me? Are we assuming the surgeon is male? Is that the unconscious assumption? And it's a ah, female? Very, yes, you figured it out. So the surgeon ah. there, assume. <laughs> Who is the surgeon? His mother. Right, very good. You got it. Congratulations. <laughs> not, many, not many people do that. But again, ah, the logic I? is obvious. People have two parents, male dead, therefore mm. female. Yep. Of course, today yep. things have changed somewhat, but, mm. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. The, the, well, it was, it, it was all male, plus there's a prejudice that, uh, an assumption that surgeons would be more likely to be male as yeah, well. So yeah, it's, well, it's that's, all headed and, that and of course, that's a reasonable assumption. I mean, generally, yeah. <laughs> uh, surgeons are men, but when you come up against an apparent paradox, you have mm. to re-examine the uh, assumptions. The problem is that that assumption is uh, being imposed on us on an unconscious level. People don't think, oh, I'm, I'm assuming he's a male. It's just, it's an unconscious assumption, and they are absolutely blocked from being able to uh, deal with this apparent paradox. I mean, I, honestly, I've taught, taught, told this story to thousands of people, and, <laughs> you know, nobody who hasn't heard it before gets it, unless they're <laughs> eight years old or something, you know, they haven't well, programmed. I had, so that's I, the power. I, I had heard it, yeah. Yeah. I had heard it, so it kind of rang a bell somewhere. Yeah, so look, tell yeah. me, that that was a beautifully illustrated example of a subconscious assumption. Now, right. how does that help us spiritually in inverted commas? How does that help us with life? Well, it, uh, yeah, every time, I mean, literally, I would say that most human beings literally live in a kind of hallucination. They have mm -hmm. a story in their head about what yeah. reality is, about what everything means, what's important, what's not important, and it's all built out of language. Right. And uh, anytime you formulate any opinion or thought in language, there are underlying assumptions. Most people are totally unaware of that level. And so they walk into every situation, whether it's an argument with their spouse or, or a difficulty at work or whatever it is, mm -hmm. and, and they have their little story about what's going on. And they almost never examine the story carefully to see if they're, if they're imposing any unconscious assumptions. Right. And so uh, what Earthling does is it picks what I call, what I've discovered to be the five, what I call the five stupidities of English. There are five... I mean, that surgeon story is sort of trivial in any real mm. circumstance that would, you'd see through that in a moment. But there are other words and other concepts and types of words in English uh, that occur hundreds of times a day in our own language machine that, uh, mm -hmm. that leave us in this sort of uh, trance-like state that's just you know, full of assumptions about reality that just aren't true. So could you give us a, a practical day-to-day -day example of that? Because I'm sure I agree with you. And I'm yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, can, I can give you the, the, the most dangerous word in the English language. Oh, uh, great. Excellent. <laughs> that, that occurs literally hundreds of times every day in almost every English speaker's... Uh, well, first of all, I, I, have to, I sort of have to sort of back up and talk about what I call the language machine. Uh, you know that voice in your head. You, I know you guys know all this stuff, but well, no, I'm just whizzing around thinking yeah, what this one yeah, word is. Yeah, you know, and yeah. uh, <laughs> well, well, we'll get to that in a second. But first of all, uh, yeah. I, I want to define what I call the language machine first of all, because I think this is really crucial to this thing. Okay. You know that that little voice in your head that you know if you're you know that plagues us at times with 
You mean the the machine inside our head that continually produces a stream of thoughts? Right. Yeah. I okay, refer yeah. to that as the language machine. Okay. okay. The, yeah. We we all we all have one of those. Yeah. yeah all, actually, we've got several. Of, well, it depends on how you look at it. Some people are bilingual or multilingual and they actually have a couple of different versions going on. But in any case, the point is, for instance, right now, as I'm when I say I'm talking, because that's the way we talk in English, mm-hmm, it's actually, mm-hmm. it's not me that's doing this talking right now. It's my language right. machine doing it, right. and it's doing it according to the way it's been programmed. Right. Because there isn't actually time for me to sit here while I'm talking and think, well, in my next sentence, I want to use this word and this word. And I mean, if you examine your own talking, you realize that you're not actually in control of it in a, on a millisecond by millisecond level. It's, it's happening. No, it's pretty it's, much it's, a, a, an unconscious stream yeah, that comes yeah, out, yeah, isn't it? Right, yeah. You open your mouth and out this stuff comes, and it comes out yeah. according to how it's been programmed. Yeah. Most of us have been programmed with standard English, which has default values. Like, uh, mm. like in a database, uh, uh, if, at least I live in California, and... Until recently, most of my friends were in California. So when I uh, entered a new person into my address book, when I got to the place for state, I never actually typed to that because I had a default value set up in my database to automatically add California. And it was right 98% of the time. Occasionally, I'd meet somebody from Arizona, and I'd have to backspace over CA and put in A is Z or something. But, But a default value is a very useful thing. Uh, in a database, you know. I'm getting, but, I'm getting but, what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. So in, so in our everyday language, well, this, in our everyday language, just one word that I'm talking about is yeah. the default value for standard English. Because when I when I, tell, when I get into this, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, do you have any idea? It's a three-letter word, and it is the most dangerous word in the English language, full of assumptions that are just plain wrong about 95% of the time. Hmm. Okay, hmm. three letters. All right. Um, okay. Um, well, I, I would say it's not the or and, which are very common. Uh, Could be but. Uh, but, oh, that's but a good, that's a good one. That's a good one, but that's not yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What about, that, that what about you? Because but is one of those ones where you can hear it coming. He says, really a nice guy, but... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What about um, another common well, one? Is you? You already said it and dismissed it as not being the word. Uh, okay. And or the then? Well, the. yeah. The the word the. That's it. Well, it I'm, is in I'm fact in... the most common word in English. It accounts for about six percent of all printed texts. Six words in a in a language that has two hundred and fifty thousand words in common use. Yeah. For one word to account for six in a hundred is astounding. Okay, and most, yeah. most people, uh, you know, in their internal monologue every day, run at least a couple hundred thousand words uh, every day because mm-hmm. our language machines are going all the time, whether we're paying mm-hmm. attention or not. And if you figure at the low end, say, uh, 50,000 words a day, 6% of that would be, what, 300? No, three, well, whatever, 300, 3,000 out of 50,000, yeah, it would be, uh, be 3,000 thes a day. Now, the question is, what's wrong with the word the? Right, well, I've, I'm, I'm looking at the screen. Yeah. Um, so, um, well, let, oh, is there an assumption here? Absolutely. 
If I tell you to go into the next room and get me the green chair, uh-huh. what's the assumption underlying that statement? That there is a green chair in the next room or an object that I would I be able to identify as a green yeah, chair? Yeah, well, that's one. It goes further than that. Not only is there a green chair in that room, how many green chairs are in that room? Okay, assuming there's one green chair. There's only one green chair. If I tell you to go get me a green chair, well, that says, okay, but if I tell you to get me the green chair, the underlying Mm -hmm. assumption is there is only one. Right, okay. Okay. Now, if I ask you, well, what's the reason you're late? Okay. What's the answer to this problem? Tell me, is two plus two, uh, well, is four... The answer to two plus is you know the you know to two plus two is is four the answer. Hmm. Well, from your basis, it's an answer, and you're saying maybe it's not exclusive. Maybe there is maybe there's a possibility of there being different answers, um, and therefore to say it's the answer would be to ex would be to narrow the field of possibilities down you know, you're, too far. You, you're you're a good student. <laughs> you, know, you got it exactly right. Yeah. Uh, in fact, two plus two. Well, one plus one is even better. One plus one equals two. Uh, everyone would, most people say, yeah, that's the answer. But actually, it depends on the base system you're operating in. If you're in binary, one plus one equals ten. Right. So right. two is not the answer. It's an answer. It's the answer in base you know, in anything above binary, then yeah. it is the answer. But the, the thing is, the under, there's this underlying assumption that is often correct. I don't quarrel with that. The problem is that uh, the default value for words like truth, uh, theory, explanation, reason, which mm-hmm. are another part of the problems in English, they're what are called reifications. But, I mean, it doesn't, it, it just, in fact, say, I, do me a little favor and say this out loud. Say, what's the answer? Okay, or no, what's, that, the, what's the, or no, better, let me see. What, uh, yeah, what's <laughs> the answer to this problem? Okay, what is the answer to this problem, Heron? Okay, now, now, if you, to say this out loud, what is an answer to this problem? Okay, Heron, what is an answer to this problem? Yeah, it's got a completely yeah. different feel to it, hasn't it? It, oh, God, Damn, you're great. You're good. Yeah, yeah it's it feel it's well actually I find it I mean it's easier for me now because I've been working on this for a long time, but actually to say what is an answer or what's a truth is even better. What's <laughs> what's a <laughs> truth? I practically gag on that. That just doesn't want to come out of my mouth. Well, I can see, yeah, once you've got used to it. Um we've got a couple of new guests here. I want to say hi to them. We're talking about the um we're talking about happiness today and the roots of happiness and, and what brings us happiness in our life or not and whether that's important and so forth. And Heron's been talking about how the language that we use, that we use just instinctively every day, can actually have limitations within it itself. Actually, and, um, I even say how language uses us rather than how we use it. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a conscious being in its own right? Is it really using us? <laughs> um, well, it's a sort of poetic use of the word, but but clearly uh, we don't use it as much as it as we are used by it or influenced by it. That's the whole issue: is to become conscious of of this language thing and not simply be swept along in the in the uh, sort of stream of language that our language machine generates and believe everything we hear it say and buy into all the assumptions that are imposed on us by the structure of the language machine itself. Isn't it a little bit of chicken and egg in that we, um, 
um, that we use the language to reflect our, under, our underlying belief and assumption system, and therefore it just keeps reinforcing it. Um, but it's actually just reflecting the way we think about things. So, you know, I think there's only one answer to 2 plus 2. So the language system supports me in saying the answer. And yeah. then we hear that a lot, and then it becomes self-reinforcing. But underneath it uh, is, a, is a language system which is very narrow in its outlook. Because we're brought up to think there's only one answer to most things, for instance. Yes, neither wants to say something. I, yeah, it's inter- really fascinating what you're saying there, Heron, because I have found that when I sing now, um, and also, yeah, when I sing and I help people into, I feel what I'm really doing is helping people into a state where they're more open. And um, I don't, I use a different type of um, medium. I don't tend to use words. I tend to use tones and notes, mm. which seem to yeah. come from my heart, my my um, deeper part of me. So you're and bypassing so the much. language system completely, is I what know. you're saying. And I've yeah. found, Heron, that when I've been working with my clients, often when I sing to them these specific tones and notes, and they do send that words, vowels, vowel words like um, ka and shia, uh, and um, they seem to affect people at a deep, deep level. Because, because you're bypassing. Because you are by, it's, it's, yeah. you, you found a way, if you like, to uh-huh. bypass the language system, yeah. which Heron yeah. is saying has mm. so many inbuilt limitations. Yes. It actually makes it and very meditation hard to Meditation is, is one of the techniques that gets yes. you uh, out of your language machine. Using a mantra, yeah. repeating something like that over and over again, shuts down the uh, semantic part of your language machine. Yeah. Right, and it leaves you open for meaning and sense right. and feeling yeah. and intuition All and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah, it's very interesting. So, in in terms of practical everyday everyday situations, how does your earthling language um, yeah. help me to be, let's say, more open? Yeah. Well, the cue is for me. Um, well, let's talk about happy. Being happy. For me, the cue is when I find that I am not happy for some reason. If 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 I notice that. And of course, that's a key is noticing. But when I, once I notice that I am less than ecstatic, you mm-hmm. know, um, the first thing I do is check into my language machine and see what it's talking about. And inevitably, I find that I have been swept up in some, you know, some rant that's going on inside my language machine, and I have identified with it. And I'm, I'm in there saying, I'm going to do this, and that guy did this to me, and blah, 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 and it's going around and around and around. And right. the, minute I, I, the minute I notice that, I, right. I, that, that stops it. I realize, oh, yes, of course, my language machine got me there for a minute. And uh, but that's not me. That's just my language machine, and that ends it right there. Right. So your step is to actually disidentify yourself with the chatter. Yeah, and to notice. For, uh, and but the most important thing is to actually notice that I'm unhappy. I mean, most people. But based on are, what you've said, but based on what you've said, okay, then would it be fair to take it a little bit further and say the very the very phrase "I am unhappy" has inbuilt yeah. assumption in it. Oh yeah, because, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because to say I'm unhappy is a huge generalization, casual oh, of phrase. Yeah, 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 it's nonsense uh, actually. So you know, <laughs> if you if you drill down into that, you might say, um, well, actually, what's actually happening is that I have a kind of tense feeling in my stomach area. 
Yeah, actually, that guy in the car in front of me pulled over and scared me, and uh, and I've reacted, and that set off a thing in my language machine about what I, about that guy's parents yeah. <laughs> or something. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, but you, again, it's becoming aware of that whole process. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so if I've, I've understood you, then let's say if I feedback what you're saying here, if I've understood you correctly, what you're saying is that um, uh, the way we, in a sense, almost define our entire reality experience is at is is at um, is through language, is through the medium of language. So we we define ourselves, who we are, what we're doing, where we are, what's going on if you like, it's quite a gross way, using a language system which has a lot of inbuilt limitation in it. Yeah. No, it's not everything. It's just a huge part of it. And more right. importantly, it's a part we can actually get our handle, our hands on and, and change and do something because it's objective in some sense. You can, right. I mean, when, like when people talk about the word mind, I always get really frustrated because I just don't know how to deal with a mind. But I do know how to deal with a language machine. Okay. Okay. So your your approach to the language machine is not just to is to first of all you said to in a sense dismiss it in the sense of saying well that's just the machine it's not me. Well, not dismiss it to break the identification with it. That I see is the main issue. That the vast majority of humans apparently think that that voice in their head is who they actually are. Okay. Yes. And then, having broken the identification with it, um, do you then go into like resetting it with a better language that is more? Oh yeah, yeah, more I, helpful? yeah, yeah. It, it, well, it begins by elimin- not eliminating necessarily. That's not easy, but uh, but becoming aware of the five stupidities that I, you know, the being the, the the first one. There are four others, but the is so big and so important that. Again, one of the other well, exercises, if there is somebody like a TV political commentator or somebody you don't particularly agree with, listen to them and just listen for the thes. <laughs> and, 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 and it's really easy to hear the thes floating around in people that you disagree with. You know, right. uh, yes. But eventually what happens is that you begin to hear them coming out of your own mouth. And that's mm. when you know that you're beginning to reprogram your your own language machine. I still, uh, I, I mean, I still speak English, so I have to use, I have to say things like I. And the word the comes out of my mouth way more times than it's actually justified. But mm-hmm. uh, I usually, if it if it becomes problematic, uh, you know, I, like I say, when I when I get upset or unhappy or you know feeling less than optimum, what I do is, like I say, I check in and I start noticing those things and start paying particular attention to what's going through, and it inevitably turns out that it's just full of nonsense and the energy just dissipates quickly. Okay, well, look, let me let me um, um, say how I read what you've said and how I how I can use that. Obviously, there's a lot more to it than you've you've had a chance to express it. Do you have a website, by the way, that has it explained? Well, I have a website, but it doesn't explain much. It's just a. It's, I did it myself. It's Gendo, G-E-N-D-O dot net. Right. And uh, ah, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. But uh, do you have a talk show? Do you have a talk show program? Oh yeah. Ah, yeah, I'm on right. all the time. Yeah. Ah, right. I think we. I got there and then lost the link and then never actually listened to it. So I will get, make sure I get back to that. Yeah. Um, the, the call name uh, is two fifty eighteen for my two fifty uh, eighteen. Okay, right, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. 
So um, what I want to do is sort of summarize, and let's take what you've said as read for the moment, because I know there's a lot more to it, um, but we're going to be sort of vaguely wrapping up shortly. So yeah. um, what I wanted to say was that um, uh, one of the things that you said was that we're kind of like driven by this language machine, particularly when we're unconscious of it. And um, and I think that uh, by becoming very conscious of what we're actually saying and what's actually going on, what we're really doing is getting in touch with, if you like, something underneath the language, which is our, our belief systems. And and those, if you like, are, are quite deep-rooted programs that, if you like, go beyond... Um, uh, go beyond the actual language construct but they get they get expressed through it so for instance i might i might have a deep-rooted idea within my being that i'm not an eternal soul that i i'm mortal you know that i'm only here for a short time i'm going to die um and um that's a feeling of that sits within me that when comes up would be expressed in whichever language I'm brought up in. It might be expressed in several languages, uh, but nevertheless, there's a kind of belief system that sits underneath that, that um, uh, that that drives my experience and is expressed most overtly and consciously through the language system. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess what I'm saying is that um, do you not feel that you can also take a look at the, if you like, the belief system sitting underneath the language system, which well, I the don't... language system is supporting. Yeah. I don't. I, I I see it just opposite of you. I don't think those are deep seated. I think those are in fact figments of the language machine itself. That those those ideas that I am just this monkey here that that lives so many years and dies uh, is because of the way the language machine functions. That, All right, but that, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you on this because okay. I, I see exactly yeah, where you're coming from, right? Yeah. But um, I, I'll give you an example. Like sometimes you want to express something. It's on the tip of your tongue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in other words, there is something which is pre-language system, if you like. It's sitting behind the language. It's, it's an idea, it's a concept, it's a feeling that you know you want to express, but you can't find the language construct that's associated with it. And then yeah. later on you say, oh, I know what it was. I've got the word yeah. for it. So yeah, the word right. is sitting on top of uh, a feeling, if you like, or a, a sense, a conceptual idea that is being born within your system. And yeah. um uh, and the language construct is something we learn to support that. But actually, it can exist quite well on its own without that. Uh, and in fact, I think a lot of our time, we actually, you know, when we're grasping for ideas, we're we're trying to find the language constructs on things that, you know, are in a sense beyond or behind or beneath the language and are yeah. looking for expression yeah. in, a, in a very limited linguistic form because that's yeah. like the only way we have, you know, overtly anyway, of actually getting an idea across from one person to another. And so, in a sense, I know I'm using the word I here, but I, I'm not <laughs> sure that I yeah. want to dissociate myself so radically, as you're suggesting, from the language system, because I feel that I, if you like, do have um, uh, systems of... Um, of um, <laughs> it's on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> systems of... Um, um, uh, of conceptualization about myself and my reality that um, that I can if you like in a sense take ownership for because I think that you know one of the one of the coming off your point for a moment but then coming back to it one of the points about being happy is that we we in a, in a very prosaic sense we, we spend a lot of our lives trying to organize things probably including our language to make ourselves make it right for us to be happy and uh, as it's because that's 
what that that assumption is that the, uh, the source of our happiness is coming from something outside of us. Um, and yet, actually, one can look at it from another completely different point of view, which is to say, well, in fact, it's not what's outside of us that determines our happiness. It's our response to yes. what's outside of us that's yeah. determining our happiness. I can really relate and, to and that. And Leela uh, <laughs> here has been the arch um, um, <laughs> proponent of this because you know, she's gone on record quite clearly publicly many times saying, you know, I want to be the living icon and example of living in your joy no matter what those external circumstances are. <laughs> so my wonderful universe took took me to at my word and has flung amazing things at me to test that. But it's been a gift to because it's helped me into that. Well, state. absolutely. But I mean, I see. You know, you know, Heron's got the point. Is yeah. you've got a circumstance come mm. t- towards you that maybe yeah. let's say a financial circumstance yeah. where it appears that mm. there's no money to buy food or something. Yeah. Uh, and your language system then tries to define and hold that yeah. down and says. Yeah. Ah well, you know, I am. I have to suffer because I have not got yeah. what I need. Mm. Um, yeah. And um, and yet, actually, what you're discovering, what we're all discovering, I feel, is that actually, you know, whether you talk about it purely as a linguistic response or as a gut level intuitive response, at some level in our being, if we're taking ownership for our response to that, and mm-hmm. I agree with you, Heron, that the way we verbalise our response mm-hmm. can give us fantastic clues as to what's going on. I'm not entirely convinced that we're entirely driven by that. I still feel it's actually reflecting. Yeah, neither am I. I'm not. Enti- no, this, uh, this is a work in progress, and right. this is a fairly yeah. complex subject, and I've yeah. grossly oversimplified it. And, and <laughs> well, you nothing, did a grand job. I was going yeah. to say, Sam, fantastic. Yeah, well, and, but nothing you say is in conflict with, with right. what I feel. Think about it. I agree with you completely on what you just said. Yes, because um, I think you know, you're part of it. Uh, it's an yeah. important part. It's something we can get our hands on and change mm. and do something about. And yes. uh, but it's it's uh, you know ultimately uh, one little piece of the puzzle. <laughs> well, Heron, give us an example, a very practical example now, um, of how one can apply that to improve the quality of your life. Well, like I say, the uh, I think the exercise with the is seek out people that you have a sort of negative feeling about. If there's people right. you disagree with, especially if they're media people on the well, radio. Well, if I see someone YouTube. cut me up, if I see someone cut up and, and say, he's a son of a bitch, there's no the in that. So No, no, that's a separate, no, no I'm, listen, the is not everything. It's just a, a good <laughs> handle, a good place to start to observe the workings of language machines. Okay. Uh, you know, no. Of course so give me an give me just to put you on the line. Give me an example yeah. of where you 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 might notice that you're using the word the, uh, and it's actually far more empowering to phrase it in a different way. Oh well, I can get, I can give you a great example from real okay. life. It was one, one of the first times I discovered that I actually um, could reprogram my own language machine. Okay. Uh, I, I was, uh, years ago, a boxing fan. Well, I still enjoy boxing. I think it's a great sport. Uh, and there was a very famous fighter called Sugar Ray Leonard who retired because he had what's called a detached retina in one of his eyes. And um, so he had to retire from boxing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was one of the greatest. And anyway, after a couple of years of retirement, he ended up coming back into boxing. And I was having a, a talk with somebody about it. And and what I and what I said was, you know, it's really dangerous for for him to to be boxing again because uh, if a person's ever had a, a detached retina in one eye, uh, it's quite likely that it, he can get it in another one. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what came out of my mouth. And both of us, the guy who was talking to and I both stopped immediately and heard what I had said, which was completely wrong. What we, you know, I mean, the, the appropriate thing to say is if you get an, a detached retina in one eye, you're likely to get it in the other one. Yes. Since we only have two eyes, or at least most of us do, yeah. you know. But what came out of my mouth was he might get it in another one. Without right. my thinking, without anything, it just came out that way. And we, and we both heard it, and we both stopped and looked at me, you know, in a way, and said, where did that come, another eye? <laughs> you know, but I was so pleased with myself that that had come out spontaneously out of my mouth without my thinking about it at all. I was wrong <laughs> in this case, but it meant I had seriously disrupted the default value of the <laughs> unconscious way my language machine functions. You just do not hear people talk that way, you right. know, or hear people say, what's a truth? You know, I mean, right. that's just, it just sounds weird. It's awkward. It's not right. So, yeah, here's an example. What's the meaning of life, the universe, and everything, as opposed to yeah. give me a meaning of life, the universe, and everything? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, that's not satisfying at all. I want to know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want an answer. I want the answer. You know? Yeah, and so, uh, like I say, my, my sense is uh, what people can do is just focus on the word the, especially listening to people that you don't like. You know, and and you'll catch all the ways the word that they the way they use it to to well they don't use it again it's their language machines that are doing this they're hypnotized by it as much as the people that they're preaching to. You well, know? I'm going to give you a very real life example there based on preaching. All right? Most religions yeah. in the world talk about the truth and oh that's God. right they have, yeah. all have both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the inability to take on. Um, uh, something beyond the single truth. Um, if you like, you can see as the one of the prime underlying causes for all unrest in the world. Absolutely, world, the world. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, our world. This well, world our that we're world experiencing. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like our world. <laughs> That's what we use in the Omega language. That's what we use in the Omega language uh -huh. for a similar sort of yeah. reason. Yeah. Is yeah, as soon as you right. tie it down to one mm -hmm. world, it's like, well, which world? Your yeah. world? My yeah, which world? One only are we one world? About? Yeah. yeah. I mean, how many worlds are there, and how do we know? And the scientists yeah. even say that yeah. there may be many parallel worlds. So let's talk about the one that we're actually experiencing now, and we call it right. my world, our world. Um, and um, anyway, the um, the idea of 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 saying you know the bible is the truth and the quran is the truth and the, this is the god uh, and actually encouraging people to move out of the idea of this uh, very limited word the as you're suggesting yeah and moving into um uh, a much more acceptance that well you know i have mine and you have yours and there's neither one right nor one wrong it's what right there's what right there's what's right for me and there's what's right for you and both are valid um and let's be able to broaden our awareness and our acceptance to yeah. include both would be of great service to humanity and to ourselves. I, and I the beauty of... I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to add this. And I remember when John and I were working on the Omega shift, we'll just call it Omega shift, Omega shift. Um, but anyway, it was so interesting. I found myself no longer wanting to say it. felt so wrong to say the universe, but to say yeah. my universe or yeah. our universe. Right. Um, yeah. Um, and I found myself writing my blogs from that place of mine or ours, almost like a, um, a collective um, 
way of expressing it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and using language consciously at that level, that's, that's just such a huge, huge thing. And the beauty yeah. of the word the, especially, is that you don't have to attack anybody's specific dogma. Mm. You know, it, it, you can approach it on a linguistic level that seems, at least on the first blush, to be safe. I mean, almost right. anybody will understand that the word does just wrong in a lot of cases, and they'll accept that without challenging the fact that their religion is the truth. You know? <laughs> but if they can just get that the word the is problematic and can be a problem, then you know, slowly that can you know, be at work inside there, you know, cool. loosening them up a little bit. So that's one of the things I, really I love get- about this. I really get what you're saying because I think the word there can create a barrier and instantly creates um, a barrier between you and the other person. Yeah, it's like the word but, isn't yeah. it? That's a, that, that's a much more common example, yeah. isn't it? And I hadn't appreciated the, that mm. it also applies to the word the. Yeah. But but is a good example because mm-hmm. yeah. you can feel it. Yeah. You can feel you a can, but coming up so strongly. Oh, you yeah. can. You can hear it and, coming. Um, no, yeah. but I mean, I mean, you can feel it within yourself. You can feel yourself coming up towards a but, and you can oh, then yeah. actually reframe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you want to say yeah. from a but to word an and. and. The word and yes. is a perfect substitute. My friend John is a real nice guy and he's stingy. <laughs> <laughs> the but doesn't have to negate the fact that he's really a nice guy. Yes. 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 But that's yes. what yes. but does. But negates mm-hmm. what you just said, whereas yeah. and just merely adds more information. Yeah. So in the pursuit of happiness... Mm-hmm. Your contribution, which has been much valued, has been to say really that becoming consciously aware of what have been previously subconscious assumptions within your language construct is an extremely useful tool. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I think cool. so. I think if you discover that you're unhappy, then, I mean, at the moment, if, if right now I am unhappy or angry or upset or fearful or whatever, uh, what I do is listen to my language machine and start questioning what assumptions are underlying, what words are they correct, is it really the way it is? How many times have you heard people say, well, that's just the way it is? <laughs> well, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but let's, let's say yeah. I'm looking at my language constructs, and I notice that I'm saying that I feel that I'm, I feel I'm affirming that I am not deserving, I don't have value. And um, and I look at that, and then I realize that the words that are coming out of my mouth are reflecting an, an inner insecurity or um, lack of self-worth. Um, now, having become conscious that I'm being driven by such a system of belief or whatever, what what how how do you suggest with your system? Yeah. Well, it's it's really complex. I, I I don't have a simple answer to that. Right. It, it's 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 a See, where I differ from you here, well, it's not differing really, it's just I, I focus on a different aspect of it. I would say that those things are not pre-linguistic constructs, that they are in fact part of our language machine. Those feelings of inferiority and all that stuff are uh-huh. built up as part of the story we have. Right. And that story is constructed in language. Ah, but but it's, story, story and language are two different things. If a story is constructed from language, then you're actually stating that a story is something of, that's different from the language, which is pretty much what we're saying. You know, the idea that I'm an unworthy small being in a large universe, which is what we're yeah. brought up with, yeah. is 
I, I would, you know, I mean, I am agreeing with you, but I'm just challenging saying, well, it's not a language yeah. construct. It's yeah. an idea which the language yeah. helps us solidify. Well, you know, another one of my favorite quotes is from a guy named Paul Václavic, who says that, uh, for it is known that language does not so much reflect reality as create it. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that either. Uh, no, I don't, fact, no, no, no. You and I, are, none of us are in disagreement no. here. Uh, I'll, I'll, you have developed your own language to develop, to worry, you know, to talk about these things, and I have done the same thing, and some of our language is a little bit different, but I'm sure we okay. can reconcile those things easily. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. mean, uh, just, you know, on that note, if, um, if I want to, if I want to pick up, if I want to go and pick up a chair, um, I actually have to conceptualize the idea of what I want to pick up with the word chair. So if you told a baby to pick up a chair and the baby had never heard of the word chair and just saw this sort of blob in its, in its awareness and hadn't actually constructed it into the idea of a chair with a label of a chair, it would have difficulty, yeah. um, it would have difficulty with it. So in a sense, the, the actual... I still think that the child can get the sense of a chair, but it's the word chair or the equivalent in your local language, yeah. that it yeah. like solidifies that into something that's very solid yeah. and objectified. Yeah. And yeah. in that sense, yeah. it creates the chair in front of you. Yeah. yeah. Dogs know what a chair is. They know how to get up in a chair and get comfortable in it. And they know the difference yeah. between a chair and an oven and all. Yeah. yeah. So language, there's a lot of stuff that's not like, obviously, like I say, you know, I've, I've grossly oversimplified this whole thing here. Um but yeah, you and I are in absolute agreement. I, I I hope you guys can come and join me in my cast uh, one of these times. So remind us of your cast number. Uh, two fifty eighteen. Uh, two fifty eighteen. Gendo. Yeah. Gendo. G e G e n d o. Right, and it's a hard G. It's Gendo. Gendo. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Uh, I'll be there. I do that almost every day from 3.30 to 5.30 California time. So that's a little bit late for you guys, probably. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> but, yeah that's, that's a bit late. We can tune in, certainly, uh, to the um, broadcast. Well, the, yeah, well, the, the files are all there. There's lots of old yeah. files. But I enjoy talking to you guys. I'd really, on my thing, I, I don't actually do a show in the sense that, you know, I... I I mean, most of my end up silent. I, I think uh, of that I open up a door, a portal into the matrix and wait for somebody to come by and have a conversation. <laughs> and, and a lot of times uh, my entire cast goes by and there is uh, nobody comes in to talk, so I just erase it and throw it away. But right. occasionally somebody interesting comes in. I usually just do one-on-ones. Right. I mean, like for, for now, in fact, what's your name, the, the guy I'm talking to? I'm John, and, and, John. Le- and Leela and, is here too. And Leela, you guys, yeah. So, I mean, mostly it's been you and I, John, that have been doing the talking here, which is really the way I usually prefer it. One-on-one, right. I find to be more focused anyway. Uh, cool. But I'd, I'd really love an opportunity to talk with Leela sometime one-on-one and because and, and, I know that that's going to be a very different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, Leela has her own show Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. tomorrow at the same time yeah. on Sundays, mm-hmm. Spiritual oh, okay. Radio. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, I, I'm really glad you guys are here and I think you're doing good work. And uh, Well, we're just getting started finding our feet in this yeah. side anyway. and. Um, yeah, it's it's a great medium. It's, oh, it's, it's just awesome. our joy. You, you know, we just got to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I got it. Yeah. So um, uh, we'd like to uh, close up now. And uh, thank you for your participation, yes, Heron. Thank you and, so much, Heron. Uh, yes. oh, thank you for being in. here and giving me a microphone. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk. Oh, it's lovely to hear another voice. Yeah. Really, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. And uh, so I just, yeah, good talking to you. And I'd just like to uh, summarize by um, uh, repeating again that um, one of the mis- misconceptions that we all fall prey to is the idea that we judge our own progress mm. and our own value and our own growth by external things. We have uh-huh. assumptions that things should be happening in certain ways. Um, and as a result, and as a result, um, uh, we, uh, we, we actually risk diminishing our happiness yes. uh, mm. because of these assumptions that we're making. Mm. And another way of looking at it is to say is, of course, is to say that life and our growth is a constant path of learning and a constant path of discovery, of challenge and so forth. And if you were to climb Mount Everest and you expected it to be a bed of roses, well, you know, that would be a bit silly, wouldn't it? You know, Mount, climbing Mount Everest, if that's your challenge, obviously has wonderful, fantastic, ecstatic views from time to time, but it also has severe challenges that you're prepared to go through to reach the summit and to get that view and to get that sense of achievement up there. Um, And it's no good um, invalidating yourself or your path when you come across an icy crevasse um, or a a blizzard or whatever because it's part and parcel of what you go through to to reach where you want to be. So, um, Can I add uh, something, John? Yeah, sure, go ahead. Yeah, uh, it dawned on me a long time ago that that part of the process in growing is realizing how stupid and unconscious I was. Uh-huh. And, that, and that feels bad when I become aware of how stupid and unconscious I am, even though it's a huge step forward to realize that. Yep. <laughs> you know, it yep. can feel bad. And, yep. and, and that can put people off. You know, they think, oh, my God, I'm so stupid. I'm so unconscious. And, and they should be celebrating when they make those discoveries, <laughs> you know. Well, yes. Yeah. On, on the other hand, I could also say, I mean, I'm supporting what you're saying, but I could also say that becoming aware that I've got subconscious programs running, yeah, that I wasn't aware of before, could be nothing more than recognizing that I've got a fault in my gearbox on my car, and I simply notice it, and I adjust it as a result, and there I don't you know, invalidate. It's a positive thing. That's what I'm yes. saying. In other words, I don't thing. have to... I, I don't have to say stupid car. I can just say, oh, misfunctioning car. And similarly, I can say, oh, misfunctioning language system. I think I shall adjust that. Um, So, I mean, I I agree. It can be a bit of a surprise to realize you've got these things going on. In the beginning, no, yeah, I guess I'm talking about beginners in this sense. Yeah, Yeah, once you get through this a few times, you you get it, you know, and you realize, (laughs) ah, yes, I see what's going on. But the first couple of times, at least for me, it, it, you know, I, I was sort of, you know, not depressed, but I mean, I just, I, I saw just how unconscious and, and stupid I was, and, and it just felt like I wasn't making progress. I mean, what I became aware of was how unaware I was, and yeah, well, that's that's a great thing. And I think that's that's the really where I want to close is because this this idea of of um, becoming aware of what we were previously unaware of. Uh, as part of our growth, 
and maybe bringing up challenges in our lives in order to become aware in order to become aware of it in order to meet those challenges and become aware of what wasn't we weren't aware of before and it offers them to actually build the strength because I know I've dealt with some things in my life that uh, you know I, I I had to put off until I was strong enough to deal with it uh, that I could cope with if you like that feeling of stupidity or whatever it was that would come up when I saw what was really going on and you know I'm still there and still growing through that if when you recognize that it's part and parcel of the process we don't have to label it as bad wrong stupid we can welcome it with this acceptance and right. say wow gee this is fantastic i didn't even know what a crazy thing was going on within my system now yeah. i'm aware of it yeah. now i can deal with it and uh, yeah. Yeah. and let go of the idea that you know it has to be a bed of roses and enjoy the journey which i think you know is what we're all about. Yeah, I, I, I really, 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 really relate to that because um, the challenges are like gifts because as you integrate them, it's like that you, you become bigger, yeah. more expansive, yeah. and you feel more alive. Yes, and in, and mm. in recognizing that process, mm-hmm. you can then become happy mm. in the process Yes. as opposed to putting your happiness on mm. hold because of an unexpected outcome yeah. or unexpected process, and so there we go. It's been a um, wonderful show. Any final words, Leah? Yeah, life is such, life is an adventure <laughs> when you have that enthusiasm for everything that turns up. <laughs> know that it's taking you into what you're really wanting. If you look at it without being overwhelmed by it, get in touch with what's really going on beneath the language, beneath your words and feel where you're taking yourself to. Cool. In yeah. fact, you've just done a video on that today, haven't I you? I have. I can't wait to share that <laughs> my next video blog. <laughs> so uh, uh, that'll be on YouTube, and if you want to find uh, more about Leela's videos, you can go to her blog, which is loveandinsight.com. Sorry, loveandinsight.blogspot.com, <laughs> uh, which has links to everything, including yeah. the uh, the Amiga Shift video that we, we spoke about before. Anyway, we'll call it a day there. Yeah. Thank you, Heron. Thank you, everybody. Thank, Thank you, Leela. Thank, Thank you, myself. <laughs> and uh, here's to great joy and great happiness yes. in all circumstances. Yes. Bye for now. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.